Well, good morning. It is truly great to see all of you. Uh, because when uh, we go through our prayer list, you'll see how many we're missing today, at least uh, some that we're missing. So it is great to see all of you and some folks we've been praying for. And uh, we still have a lot to be praying for. But we're delighted uh, that, you're, that you're here. We've been exploring a theme this year, uh, Less of Me in 23. And I want to continue that uh, this morning and likely next Sunday morning, Lord willing. But I want to refer you to the greatest sermon ever preached. The greatest sermon ever preached. And that's the sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, as you look up Matthew chapter 5, we're only going to explore one verse along with some other companion passages. But I want to remind you that when Jesus preached this sermon, it was really revolutionary because he is ushering in the kingdom of God. And the principles that the kingdom of God emphasizes are much different than what the world values. And that becomes very apparent as Jesus sits down on this mountaintop and begins to preach. And he begins with what we call the Beatitudes, the first one of which is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you think back uh, and try to put yourself in the place of the people who, who heard Jesus sharing these things, this indeed was revolutionary. It was countercultural, even counterintuitive. He would begin, blessed are the poor, and immediately their minds, like our minds, would say, wait a second, shouldn't he be saying, blessed are the rich? Blessed are those who, who have an abundance. And again, Jesus is speaking not about financial matters, material things, but more poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But still, their minds and our minds would, would think of blessedness being more akin to having abundance than doing with less. And so Jesus begins this counterintuitive, countercultural message about values in his kingdom. But he's telling us if we want to be in his kingdom, these are the values that we must incorporate into our lives and in fact uh, allow it to permeate uh, every relationship that we share. So what does this mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. There are more than, there's more than one word for poor in the Greek language, the initial language of the New Testament. There is one word that is used to refer to a working man who would work for his day's wages. Give us this day our daily bread, where, where the disciples are taught to pray in Matthew 6. And there were those daily laborers who would go out and work and earn enough money for that day to purchase their daily bread. So this describes, this word describes someone who, who didn't have a lot, nothing superfluous, but, but had enough for, for the day. But then there's the word that Jesus uses in this text. And it's not for that day laborer who has very little but enough for the day. This word describes someone who's in deep poverty, abject poverty. In fact, uh, Strong's Dictionary says, a beggar, that is a pauper, strictly denoting absolute or public 
mendicancy, the, the practice of begging. In fact, if you look for this word in our New Testaments or in the Gospel accounts, you'll find that it's used of Lazarus in Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus. Notice what it says there, Luke 16, verse 20. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So the imagery there in Jesus' story is of a man who not only is physically impaired, has terrible health issues, but he's begging. In fact, he's content with just the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. That's the picture we need to have in our minds when we hear Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit. In fact, a translation uh, that may help us, we could easily say, blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit. Who are bankrupt in spirit. The idea is broke. I've heard people say, rather jokingly, I, I am so poor, or I was so poor, that I couldn't even pay attention. Now that's, that's poverty, isn't it? But I want to adapt that to say, to try to convey what Jesus is telling us. Blessed are you when you're so broke, you have nothing to offer. Now imagine, go back up on that mountain, and imagine hearing Jesus' sermon, and how he begins it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you understand the words that he's using, and how he's talking about deep poverty, and yet, that sounds so countercultural. Not something that's valued in their world nor in ours. But that's, that's how Jesus sets the stage for his kingdom. Here's quality. Here's characteristic number one. You've got to be spiritually bankrupt. You have to realize your woeful inadequacy to, to save yourself. And he's setting the stage for us to understand how we must be completely dependent upon God. I found this statement that I thought was helpful. Being poor in spirit comes when we recognize our total spiritual destitution and our complete dependence on God. There is no saving resource in us. There's nothing that we can offer of value. We are left begging poor and our only recourse is to reach out our sin-sick hands and beg God for mercy and grace. If you think wow, Jesus is really deflating our egos. You're right. That's his purpose, is to do some destruction first before he can do some rebuilding. And that destruction is of self and our, of our self-importance, of our, uh, how we think we may have it all together. And Jesus says, if you want to be in my kingdom, you've got to realize just how, how desperately poor you are spiritually. Perhaps it helps when we see a contrast. Sometimes if we can see it in people or see it in a story, we can uh, capture the idea even better. So I want to take you to a well-known parable of Jesus to see a contrast, a contrast between a publican, a tax collector, and an a Pharisee. And so we're going to go to Luke chapter 18, for a few moments. Luke chapter 18, 
beginning with verse 9. Notice, first of all, the audience to whom Jesus speaks this parable. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Notice carefully, to whom is Jesus speaking? To those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They looked in the mirror and all they could see were righteous people. That was their view of, them, of themselves. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Really what they are is self-righteous. But not only are they self-righteous, viewed themselves as righteous in the sight of God, how does that impact their view of others? Notice Jesus is speaking to those who look down on other people. So they're so self-righteous that when they look at others, they look down at them. Particularly those sinners. Those sinners. And that's the audience to whom Jesus is speaking. And let me hasten to say, Jesus is addressing the proud in spirit, not the poor in spirit. But watch this parable and how he is seeking to help them understand the difference between being proud in spirit and poor in spirit. Here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Two men went up to the temple to pray. That was very customary for the Jews. There were three prayer times in the temple, 9 a.m., noon, and about 3 in the afternoon. And so it was a very, very common daily occurrence for people to go to the temple to pray. And here were two such men who were going for that express purpose. But one is a Pharisee, a Pharisee. Literally, that name of that sect of the Jews meant separated ones. They had separ separated themselves from the other sects, sects of the Jews to be, to be devoted to a strict observance of the law. Their fundamental theme was being obedient to every detail of the law. And so they had separated themselves for that, for that end. They were one of Jesus' greatest opponents during his earthly ministry. And they would often use prayer, unfortunately, as a way of displaying their righteousness. That's why in this same great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say this, When you pray, you shall, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They have their reward. So Jesus is saying, don't pray like those type of people. And many of those type of people were, were Pharisees. And here's one of those Pharisees going to the temple uh, to pray. The other man, Jesus identifies as a tax collector. And this he uses a contrast. A Pharisee, a very religious person, devoted religious person, but the other, a tax collector. And Jesus could not have spoken of anyone lower in the eyes of people than this tax collector. This was a public office, a political office created by the Romans to help collect taxes in those provinces of Rome. And 
those Jews who were hired to do this work were viewed as traitors by their fellow Jews because they're serving a, a, a government that's controlling the Jews. And the Jews were looking for a Messiah that would overthrow the Roman government and set up Israel as the, as the world power. So they were viewed as traitors. They were known to be unscrupulous. They were known to be cheaters. They would charge more than what was required of the taxes and they would line their own pockets. And so many of the tax collectors in Jesus' day were, were rich. They were considered the lowest class placed in the same category as harlots or prostitutes. We could say more about how low a view that people had of tax collectors. But that's the other one, along with the Pharisee, that's going up to the temple to pray. And first we find how the Pharisee prays in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Remember, Jesus is speaking to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on others. And can't you see this Pharisee looking down on others? I thank you that I'm not like these other sinners, especially like this, and I can see him even pointing in this tax collector's direction. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector, this lowly tax collector. You see, obviously, this Pharisee is inflated with his own sense of importance. And he's praying, interestingly, in the New King James here, it says he prayed thus with himself. He's not really praying to God. If he's saying anything to God, he's saying something to the effect of, God, aren't you so lucky to have me? That's how self-righteous he is. And then in verse 12, he talks about some of the things that, that God should be proud of him for. I fast twice a week, he says. I fast twice a week. If you go to the Old Testament, you'll, you'll only find one obligatory fast for the Jews, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And yes, fasting was a, was a practice. It was a spiritual discipline that the Jews practiced. And some devout Jews practice it twice a week. Interestingly, on Mondays and Thursdays. You know what else happened on Mondays and Thursdays? These were the market days. The days of the open markets. And unfortunately, some would practice fasting on these days and would whiten their faces and dishevel their clothes and be seen in the public marketplaces. And when people looked at them, they would know by their appearance, oh, they're fasting. How, how, how righteous those people are. And for, for some, this was their, their motivation. And even so, this Pharisee brags, if you will, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. He likely tithed everything that came into his possession, even the tiny herbs from his garden. In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are things you should have done 
without neglecting the others. So he commends their, their diligence about tithing, about giving a tenth back to God. But here the Pharisee is, is bragging about that. I give tithes of, of all that I possess. And again, remember Jesus' audience. Those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And isn't that how we are to see the Pharisee? But then there's the other man, the tax collector. And notice what Jesus says about him very briefly. The tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee is basically saying, God, you're so lucky to have me. God, look how righteous I am. But the tax collector in shame and disgrace couldn't even look up to heaven. I thought about that statement a lot this past week. And let me tell you something that keeps me striving to stay on the straight and narrow. This is for me personally. It's because if I go astray, there's going to be some eyes looking at me. Eyes of people that I love and I value and I treasure. So I imagine if I go astray, I'm going to have to face those people. And you know what? I'm not going to want to look them in the eye. Because I know I will have sorely disappointed them. And sure, they'll look at me with love in their eyes, but, but yet I couldn't help but feel shame and disappointment in myself because I've disappointed my family, my loved ones, my church family. I thought about that as I read about this tax collector. He couldn't even look up to heaven. He couldn't face God, if you will, because he's so conscious of his sin that he couldn't look up to heaven. This tax collector is devoid of all pride. He's not bragging about how good a person he is. He's ashamed of how sinful he is. And in contrast to that Pharisee filled with self-righteousness who is proud in spirit, what we see in this tax collector is one who is very poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. If you want to understand what that means... Place yourself in the place of that tax collector. The Pharisee was focused on himself. The tax collector is focused on God and pleading with God for mercy. Here is Jesus' application. I tell you, this man, referring to the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. When Jesus spoke this parable, what he's trying to get people who heard him to do is evaluate themselves. Who am I in this story? And so we need to see ourselves. Who, who are we in this, in this story? 
Are we like the Pharisee, proud of our righteous acts? And so, so proud, in fact, that we may think, well, God's pretty lucky to have me. And in that pride, in that self-righteousness, we may look down on others and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. Or can we identify with, with the tax collector? When we realize our sinfulness, when we realize our desperate, desperate situation without Jesus, do we, do we, are we so convicted of our sins that we can't even look up to heaven? Because we're ashamed to face the God who created us in his image. Because we've marred that image by our own sinful choices. Where do we find ourselves in Jesus' story? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me conclude with two applications for us. And I didn't include one of these in the PowerPoint. But the first one is this. Let's not compare ourselves with other people. Let's not compare ourselves with other people. I love what I read years ago about uh, a man who, a married man with children who was in Bible school, uh, studying to be a preacher, studying Bible in college. And he had little children, and as many parents do, uh, his little girl, he would have her stand up against the door facing and mark, uh, it's maybe every, every birthday, mark her height. And they would see how she would, and she would be able to see how she grew from year to year. Well, there was a fellow Bible student of this uh, Bible uh, preacher. Uncle Chet, they called him. He wasn't related physically but uh, just he was like a family member. Uncle Chet was super tall, six foot five or more. And one day he was visiting and, and uh, his friend, the father of this little girl said, well, Uncle Chet, let's mark how tall you are. So on this same door facing, they had to go way up, maybe even on a step stool and mark how tall Uncle Chet was. And they wrote his name out beside that mark. And so as that little girl continued to grow and as they continued to mark how, how tall she had gotten through the years, the remark was always made, we'll never get as tall as Uncle Chet. We'll never be as righteous as Jesus. If we're going to compare ourselves to anyone, let's compare ourselves to Jesus. Because comparing ourselves with others, and we may think we're more righteous than they, that will never do us any good. Compare yourself to Jesus. And what will that do? Number one, it will cause us to realize, I'm, I'm not righteous at all. But Jesus would, would respond, he would say, keep seeking to follow after me. 
Not as, some, not as an example to discourage us from seeking to follow Jesus, but an encouragement to keep on following Jesus and striving for that, for that high mark, knowing we'll never, ever reach it. But do not try to compare yourself with someone whom you may deem is lower on the spectrum. Jesus condemns that very thing in this parable. But here's the second application. And that is to realize we are all in need. We are all in need. Each and every one of us. I believe Jesus' intention in telling that story was to help all of us identify with the one that we should, the one who went down justified, and that is this tax collector who was so aware of his sinfulness, he couldn't bring himself to look up to heaven, but cried out for the mercy of God. If you ask me what's my favorite song, through the years it's, it has varied. Currently, I have a new favorite. And it's one that we've sung recently. It's called In Need. And here are the first lines of that song that we're about to sing together. In need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy raining down from high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of, only, of things that only you can give to me. And as we sing that song, we're all expressing the fact that we're all in need. That we are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. And our only hope is the mercy of God. And the wonderful thing about it is that God extends his mercy to us through Jesus. The, the only righteous person, perfectly righteous, who went to the cross on our behalf and died for our sins so that we can be found righteous in Him. And that, that's the greatest news of all. And we're all in need of that love and that grace and that mercy. So in a moment when we sing this song, if you're convicted of that need and you've never submitted your life to Jesus, why not today? Why not Come forward to be baptized into Christ as one who, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for, for each and every one of us. Turn from sin as a way of life and turn to following Jesus as a way of life. That's what the Bible calls repentance. Let us assist you in being baptized into Christ so that His blood can wash away your sins and that in Him... God will see true righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Perhaps we've gotten off track. Perhaps we, at this point, can't even look up into heaven because we know that we've done so. The good news of the gospel is that we can come back home. If we'll acknowledge our sin, just like that prodigal son who didn't even feel worthy to be allowed back into his father's home. And when he had that speech prepared and, and, and his father ran out to greet him, before he could finish his speech, the father embraced him and welcomed him back as a forgiven son. Not as a slave, but as a son. 
Do you need to come back home? We're all in need. It may be that you're ready to express that need in a public way. If that be the case, please come right now as we stand and sing.